And we're really in the midst of a social type of pandemic where we seem to gravitate towards negativity and shittiness. And it becomes like a what came first, the chicken or the egg type of situation between is it because that's what we're chasing or is it because that's what we're being fed by the algorithms that we're caught within? And we're just like in this never ending cycle of bullshit and things that make us hate and feel stronger emotions. What's up, what's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 200 of the Spun Today podcast. 200. Let me get a round of applause for it being episode 200. God damn it. And in this episode, I speak about watching Matrix Resurrections, The Shy Season 4, Jim Gaffigan's latest comedy special, which is Comedy Monster. And I add another addition to our goats doing goat shit segment. But before we get into the episode, I want to share with each of you a great way that you can help support this show, which is by signing up to my Spun Today newsletter. You can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. And by doing so, you show that you support the show. And it gives me a way to have direct contact with you so that Not only do you receive the completely free weekly curated content that I'm going to tell you about in a bit, but you're also the first to be in the loop and in the know whenever I publish a book and might even be privy to some free copies. So again, if you go to sponsorate.com forward slash subscribe, I'd really appreciate it. But here is a little bit more about what the newsletter contains, and then we'll get right into the show. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. The Matrix Resurrections. All right, I know the audience out there is somewhat split on the fact that this movie, the fourth movie in one of the best trilogies ever, of this fourth movie even existing, even being a thing. And here's my take on that. When it comes to this money grab, art being pushed to the backseat, studio heads only focusing on the bottom line, and not just studio heads, could be certain creatives involved that are just 
in the mindset of a money grab type of situation, when it comes to that type of trend that seems so prevalent nowadays in Hollywood and beyond, I personally am not the biggest fan. When it comes to like remakes and reboots, I'm very skeptical going in, right? I still give stuff a chance, but my guards are definitely up. And my apprehension to these is way more so when it comes to movies that are just straight remakes. You're taking an older movie, recasting it, and reshooting the same exact thing. That's like, for me, like at the top of the list of this type of trend, right? Then under that, I would put just like reboots in general of like an older concept or idea that I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know. That has proved me right and wrong in the past, right? So I'm, I'm speaking of like Saved by the Bell, for example. Back in the day, they had... I forgot what it was called. It was Saved by the Bell, the new class or something like that. That was just like a straight money grab, right? And just trying again to like keep that same concept and idea, recast it, but at least it wasn't just like reshooting the same exact like episodes and stuff of the past. Man, that kind of sucked. Then the latest reboot, which is the like Saved by the Bell, like within that same world, just showing all of them older and now, you know, teachers and etc. that I've spoken about here on the show. That was all right. That was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good in my opinion. Or like Cobra Kai taking like this uh, Karate Kid uh, movies from back in the day. And which again, I'm going to speak about in a future episode because I just finished watching uh, fairly recently the, the latest season of it. And I thought that was great. They like knocked it out the park in my opinion. So like stuff like that, right? Then you have just trilogies or you know, it could be a single movie and they just do like a part two to it just because it's so popular. Uh, the first one or part three, etc. Think like Hangover, for example. Like that was such a huge success that they made a part two, which was also funny. And part three, which was a little bit less so. But like that type of thing. Those I'm not mad, as mad at, you know. But then you have something iconic like The Matrix, like a Back to the Future. And in these scenarios, when they do decide to make a new installation to the series i'm a little split on it um as a fan excited because i love this world i want to see what else is going on in it you know where the story has progressed to but then part of me is like damn but i don't want them to fuck up the legacy of what it is the iconicness if that's a word which i don't think it is but you guys know what i mean right but then I take a step back and I'm like, everything that the Matrix was or is, and I felt this way, there was something recently that I actually spoke about on the podcast. It's escaping me now, but like a sequel like this that came after many years. And I believe I had like the same type of energy, which was the greatness of it is solidified. If the fourth movie is absolute shit, it doesn't mean that, oh, fuck, now nah, they fucked up the series and it, it's not like a once- bad apple spoils the bunch type of situation where now all the other movies are shit like nah the other three movies are still ill it's still awesome it still did what it did they still mean what they mean and the fourth installation doesn't have to add to it doesn't have to take away from it i could kind of like separate it you know what i mean so on this torn type of mentality that i go into a movie like matrix resurrections with I'm a little more on the optimistic side and I welcome it. And then when the movie turns out to be fucking great 
as I believe the Matrix Resurrections was. It's just that much better. <laughs> you know, it's like that much more gratifying. So let's give it up a little bit to the Matrix Resurrections. Now, those of you that listen to the podcast know how I feel about the Matrix. I love the series. The first movie was just up there on like my favorite movies of all time. I spoke about on a recent episode or a past episode, rather. I don't remember how recent it is that Matrix E should be its own type of genre for movies. Where if you say that to people, people know like what you mean by it. I think it was when I was speaking about Free Guy that it has like a, it's kind of Matrixy. And if you say that to people, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like it created that aside from just the innovative visual effects that were born out of this movie that are still used today. And that we saw dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of movies and fight scenes use ever since which was that concept of having cameras lined all the way around so you could see like that 360 view of like a fight scene. That was a Matrix innovation. And because the Matrix is on such a high pedestal for me, I welcomed this Matrix Resurrections, but my expectations weren't high. I was like, there's no way. And by the way, just to be very clear, I don't think Matrix Resurrections topped the Matrix like the original by any stretch, but I had no expectations. I was like, this is probably going to be like just fun to watch just based on the nostalgia, but probably going to suck. But it wasn't that at all. It was so good, so creative. And I can't wait to tell you guys a bit about like my favorite parts from it. But first, let me read you guys the official synopsis. Return to a world of two realities. One, everyday life. The other, what lies behind it. To find out if his reality is a construct to truly know himself Mr. Anderson will have to choose to follow the white rabbit once more. The story is based on characters created by Lily and Lana Wachowski, which, fun fact for those of you who may not know, the Wachowski brothers were the ones who wrote and created the original Matrix. And they have since transitioned, both of them, into Lily and Lana Wachowski, respectively. And now go by the Wachowskis. Lana Wachowski also directed this one. And in terms of writing credits for The Matrix Resurrections, we have Lana Wachowski, David Mitchell, and Alexander Himan. And before I tell you guys about some of my favorite parts of the movie, I just want to say that in terms of The Matrix, I feel like, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but it made like a generation of people feel like someone gets me. Or like, oh, I'm not alone in the way that I think sometimes. And I don't know exactly how to pinpoint or describe that feeling. But I'm sure that those of you that felt that way or a similar way with watching the original Matrix know exactly what I mean. And this new movie, I feel, helps do that for a fresh new generation that might not go back and watch like the original Matrix, for example. And that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And if you guys are new listeners to the show and you may not be familiar with my little recaps and reviews of movies, there definitely are spoilers. So spoiler alert. Feel free to fast forward if you haven't seen the movie yet. So when the movie starts off, we see Neo, Keanu Reeves, who, by the way, is definitely a vampire. This guy does not get old. And he's a white dude, which, no offense, but historically do not age well. You know what I mean? It's not like a 
Lorenz Tate that is also definitely a vampire, but has the whole black don't crack thing going on. <laughs> um, it opens up with Keanu living a life that's reminiscent of his Mr. Anderson Matrix life before he was unplugged. And this is not like the very first scene of the movie, which I'm going to circle back to, but just like the first time we're introduced to Neo's character. But he seems to be like in a corner office type of situation, looks successful in terms of like financially, has a lot of like awards, game awards, and like paraphernalia from the Matrix, like action kind of figures and little statues of like sentinels and the character of Trinity in an iconic scene of when she jumps out of the window backwards and she's shooting up at an agent that is coming down after her. And we learned that he's a game programmer that's renowned for creating a video game called The Matrix. And at first when this is going on, I'm like, please don't fuck this up. Please don't fuck this up. I thought they were just going to go the route of saying, oh, the last three movies were just, you know, really the video game that this guy created. And then just go on to show that, you know, none of the other stuff actually happened. <laughs> and I was like, please don't do that. <laughs> But they do a good job of building up that type of suspense throughout the movie, or at least like the beginning quarter of the movie, by showing Neo going to therapy sessions, and his therapist is played by Neil Patrick Harris, shout out to NPH, who does an amazing job. And in one of the first sessions between them, probably the first, the therapist gives him some very sound, rational, logical, psychological feedback based on the information that Neo is giving him about this other world that he thinks he's been a part of and, you know, Trinity and Morpheus and et cetera, et cetera. And the therapist, again, very rationally writes it all off in a coherent way that makes sense, which we later find out is obviously like complete bullshit and untrue. But it's so interesting, I think, just like taking a snapshot of that moment of how Anybody without any knowledge of the outside story or who Neo is, etc. Or, you know, just taking this moment between like two people. You'd be like, oh yeah, that guy's obviously a whack job. He's completely crazy. And what this doctor therapist dude is saying is obviously correct. But it's like the exact opposite. And I just thought that was like a very interesting scene in that sense. And when looked at that way. And NPH's character is meant to symbolize... Uh, control he is the architect character of the previous uh, matrix movies but in this iteration of the matrix he's known as the analyst would you guys remember the the architect from the older movies he's dressed all in white kind of looks like colonel sanders doogie hauser is like the 2.0 version of him but neo is going through the motions similar and this is the part where i said where i felt like it was like reminiscent of, of the first movie you know, going through the motions in this world where he doesn't quite feel like he belongs and he feels out of place. And, you know, there's even a montage of him just going through, you know, the same routines over and over again. Going to the gym, going to work, going to the coffee shop that he likes, taking his medication, which happens to be a blue pill. Keep him in that blue pill world, if you will. And that's a throwback, you know, symbolizing the choice of taking the red pill or the blue pill, the red pill to know the truth, the blue pill to stay within the matrix. And you can tell that he himself feels like something's off. But the writers do a great job of keeping us as the audience in suspense of, wait, is this motherfucker actually crazy? And he just invented like this dope game 
with his psychosis. Like, what the hell's going on? And then we're introduced to probably the most memorable character, one of the most memorable characters, obviously, outside of Neo and Trinity, etc., of this new movie, which was Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick. And by then, by the way, I don't mean chronologically, because she was actually within the very first scene of the movie. But in that scene, we see the type of dichotomy that we're used to seeing within the Matrix, like the two worlds, the plugged-in world and those that have escaped it and are outside of it and are, you know, being hunted, if you will, by the agents. And she's running running away from a couple of agents, stumbles onto a scene that was from the original Matrix with Trinity when I think it was the open opening scene of the first movie, if I'm not mistaken. But it was like an exact remake of the scene where Trinity is in this abandoned warehouse type of place. She fucks up like a bunch of cops to like get out of there. And the agents are like going to get her. And, and it's like in the original movie, like the first time we see Agent Smith. And the cops are like, oh, I sent two, two squads up to go get her. You know, we can take care of one little girl. And Agent Smith turns around and says, no, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. And they like redo that line in this movie, which they have a lot of like kind of like callbacks to like the original like that, like sprinkled throughout the movie, which is pretty cool. Definitely checks off the nostalgia box. But anyway, so Bugs is like on the outside looking in on this like scene. And she's like, wait, I've seen this before. What is this? Oh, this is the moment. This is like where it all started, whatever, blah, blah, blah. What is this? Where am I? Kind of like thing. She's speaking to her team, her crew, specifically to Seek, which is another character, which is pretty cool in the movie. And just shows like from a technological perspective where we're at nowadays, where Seek is able to like project the hologram of himself into, you know, whatever situation she's like plugged into, uh, bugs in this case. But his actual being, his actual body is back on like their ship, like their, I forget the name of the ship, but like their version of the Nebuchadnezzar. And he's like who Tank was in the first movie, you know, like the operator, their eyes and ears, if you will. That lets them know like when trouble's coming, etc. So long story, a little bit less long. This scene is being recreated within a game that Neo's character designed. Like a section within a game that he designed or is working on. And Bugs stumbles upon this and she's like within it. And the agents somehow like wind up noticing her as well. And, you know, they're going through the motions of like what they did with Trinity in the original movie, like in this scene. And she goes through some like back doors and gets away essentially. But the takeaway from the scene, which is what I wanted to get to, is something that got me really excited right away, which was that this was a modal. She called it a modal, which is a simulation used to evolve programs. Now, I want to put a pin in my little recap and review and take a quick aside to explain why this got me so excited. So I've had this thought, this concept, this idea, not even sure exactly what to call it, but just like when you, you know, when you're like in the creative space, you're like, could be thinking about a story, but just like thinking of like just things in general, just could be thinking about technology or AI or the meaning of life or the natural progression of things. I don't know what exactly, but I've had this thought where it's not a completely thought out, fleshed out type of idea. So take it with a grain of salt. But this kind of concept or idea of if there is a God, maybe higher entities, multiple deities, who knows, right? 
But if there was something consciously above us, and by us, I mean, you know, you listening to this, me, like the world as we know it. And if there's really like a multiverse and that conscious being or those conscious beings are above that, and we're somehow like contributors to whatever's going on in their world, if that makes any sense, like how we could create in our world, how we can create a program or like a script or function within Excel to process a certain set of commands or how we created the calculator to be able to calculate numbers instantly and faster than we could compute in our own brains, right? So we create things to benefit us. So what if we're creating things to benefit them, like those beings above us, right? So I had this thought of, it'll be interesting if let's hypothetically say something like that is the case. And they kind of create these separate worlds where they could all be different. Like in our world, you know, humans are top of the food chain, quote unquote. In another world, maybe it's fucking ducks like Howard the Duck or beings that are not carbon based. They're fucking nitrogen based. You know what I mean? Like they mix and match like different things and just create like different worlds, right? Like with the idea of let's see what these these ingredients come up with. And in our world, the ingredients made carbon-based organisms and stars and planets, and we come from stardust, and we've evolved, and we continue to evolve from monkeys, apes, hominids, into homo sapiens, and so on and so forth, right? And we you know, create all these different things, and we're having into technology right now. We're working on possibly creating AI, et cetera, but it's all based on like these ingredients, right? That those beings above us initially started so my idea is like what if they do that just to see like all the cool different useful shit that comes out of those worlds and then they're like oh and they replicate that in their world or they take it and you know use it in their world somehow so i've had that type of like thought or idea unbeknownst to me that if this modal thing was not just something created for like this world within the matrix i don't know if it's something that actually exists within like the computer programming world. But that concept was still the same, which was a simulation used to evolve programs. And it's like Neo created this world, this modal, to like recreate Morpheus, for example, came from this, or a version of him, where this scenario kept repeating itself over and over and over and over again. But one of the characters, which was an agent, that was a mix between Agent Smith and Morpheus, came out of it. Morpheus 2.0, if you will. But because I've had that thought, that idea in the past, that really resonated with me and I thought it was so cool. Now, back to the rest of my little recap and review. So after this scene, we pretty much find out that, again, that dual world exists, the Matrix world and the real world, and that Neo is somehow back in the Matrix. He's plugged in again. And there's this subset of people that think that Neo died, doesn't, you know, he's gone, that's it. And there's another subset of people that believe that he's still alive, that the spirit of the one is still going on somehow. And Bugs is one of those people that believe. But like we saw at the end of the trilogy, Neo died. He sacrificed himself with some Christian-like symbolism that he gave his life for others. So you're kind of like, there's a disconnect there, right? You're like, what the fuck? What's going on? Then much like in the first movie, there is an attempt to save Neo, to unplug him. 
and he's a little torn. He's like, wait, I thought it was crazy. I'm going to therapy, but this world doesn't feel right. I guess the Matrix was real. Let me kind of like go with it. And they get him the fuck out of there. And they even, you know, it's a very similar red pill, blue pill situation. Morpheus comes into the picture, the new Morpheus slash Agent Smith, played by Yaya Abdul-Mateen the second. And then we find that the Agent Smith type character, remember that he kind of like disconnected from the Matrix and the machines used Neo being like the connection between Agent Smith and the machine world since Agent Smith kind of turned into a virus and started just like replicating himself, but the machine were, machines couldn't control him anymore. But Neo was kind of like that connection to him. The machine machines were able to quote unquote erase him, erase his program. But nonetheless, he does exist once again in this movie. And he's played by Jonathan Groff, which was the FBI agent in the Netflix series that they canceled that I was upset about that they canceled after just two seasons, because apparently nobody but me was watching it, called Mindhunter. And he plays like this new version of Agent Smith, which is just Smith. You know, he's not an agent of the machines, but he embodies like that Agent Smith character. And he does a great job. He does a really good job, Jonathan Groff, because he like makes it his own, similar by, similar, by the way, to, to Yaya Abdul-Mateen, who plays the new like Morpheus slash Agent Smith 2.0. Like they both do great jobs in making the characters, these new characters or versions of those characters like their own without just, you know, like seemingly doing an impression of the previous characters. And Smith's character plays Neo's business partner in the like video game fucking company that they have and there's actually a, a funny scene between them two where smith is telling you know they're speaking about their parent company warner brothers which is the actual like parent company of the the matrix franchise how they said that they wanted them to do an, a reboot of the matrix and if, if they didn't do it that they would move on without them and have somebody else do it which was the case for lana wachowski apparently Warner Brothers has been hounding her to make a fourth Matrix and she didn't want to. And they were like, all right, fuck it. We're going to do it without you. Then we own the shit. And then she was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Before you guys fuck it up, let me do it. But anyway, I got to wrap this up soon because I'm just going on and on. But yo, it was, I thought it was so good. So when they rescue Neo, you know, he's back on the ship, the, you know, whatever this cruise Nebuchadnezzar is. And he starts finding out things. And we as an audience start finding out things along with him. Like the fact that, the machines were able to, when Neo died, they were able to, and the analyst kind of reveals this later on, so it's not like immediately after, but just in the interest of time, the machines were able to, when Neo died, were able to piece him back together. They spent like years getting his like brain and his eyes, remember his eyes were like burned off and like rebuilding his body basically to give him life again and plug him back into the matrix, which is how he wound up plugged in again in the first place and that it's been like 60 or 70 years since then so this isn't like immediately after either and this new matrix has been going on for like 60 70 years but him and we'll later we'll later see trinity being replugged in like they didn't age along with everyone else and we find out that they were giving him this life of like being this matrix game designer guy to kind of like fuck with his head in how that he's crazy basically and like that's how they kept him under control that's how they would keep him under control because they knew that you know he would have these feelings and thoughts and 
they wanted a way to explain that way. And there was a really dope line that Bugs tells them, which is that they took his life and made it into a video game. They turned it into something so trivial. And the Matrix in so many ways is a metaphor for our own world, our own lives. So something like that could definitely be said about the way we trivialize things and treat our lives. Let me fast forward a bit. So then we find out what has been going on over these past like 60 years. So after the incident with Neo when he died, there was peace for a long time. And it came from there being a civil war within the machine world. And they even like, they showed like flashback scenes of this. And there's like red lasers versus blue lasers, kind of, you know, like red pill, blue pill, like that's a theme throughout. And that was pretty cool. But it gave birth to like this concept, this idea that we find in this movie where it's not just human versus machine anymore. It's not just freeing the minds of humans from the machines. There are also sentient machines that are good and that work with the people and that they are able to be freed from their programming and be free in this new world as well. And then we find out that Zion no longer exists. Now it's a place called IO, which is like symbolism for ones and zeros of the computer world. And also it's the middle two letters of Zion. And Jada Pinkett is in it. And she's 60 years older. And she's the general. And I love the callback to like a bunch of the like different characters, a few of which I'm going to listen a bit. But she's the one that puts Neo on to what happened with like the civil war. And then after that, that there's been peace and how working with the like sentient like machines that are now, you know, integrated and part of their world, they were able to become so much more advanced than folks were in Zion. In IO, they're like growing plants and fruits like strawberries. And they have all these like pleasures that they couldn't have back in Zion because they have this like technological AI advantage with working with these like sentient computer beings. And what was one of the coolest characters in this entire movie, it's not just like one character specifically, but just like this concept, this idea, is that these machines, these, this like AI, if you will, that they free, they like free this software, like the programming of this software, right? But like, how does that translate into like the real world where IO is? So these sentient beings are able to physically appear and like manifest in that real world through this like magnetic beads type of thing. I forget like what they call it, but these like malleable magnetic beads and they take like the shape of like the face and, you know, body of like a human being, like in the real world, which I'm doing a shit job. I just realized of explaining that, but it's so cool. Such a cool concept that definitely answers the question of like, okay, you just freed, you know, the mind quote unquote of this program, but how does that computer program manifest itself in the real world? This answered that question. So other characters that are in it, Sati, the little girl, remember the little girl from like that train station from nowhere in the second or third movie, I want to say she's in it. I think the third movie she's in it, but like all grown up, obviously the Frenchman makes a cameo, a really cool line that Neil Patrick Harris said in the movie, which I jotted down here separately was just that feelings validate our fictions. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, you know who else is in it? Aunt Rachel from Family Matters. You guys remember Family Matters? She's in it. Oh, and you know, something that I thought was awesome too and kind of validated for me because it's something that, it's a concept that I write about or wrote about in my debut novel, Fractal, A Time Travel Tale, where 
the crew within my book, the way they're able to toggle through time is like through their dreams. But the way that they get back to baseline reality is by looking in a mirror. And I forget the exact like verbiage that I used in the novel to describe how that worked. But basically it like rejiggered their like neurons such that it allowed them to return back to their baseline reality. And in this movie, they also use mirrors, which is also, by the way, not like an original idea. I mean, it's original in like the ways that it's used, but it's like a Alice in Wonderland, you know, through the looking glass type of thing, like a way to like travel to different worlds through mirrors. But anyway, I thought that was really cool. And if you did too, feel free to get a copy of my book, Fractal, spuntoday.com forward slash books forward slash fractal. Shout out to my shameless plug. But yeah, yo, I really liked this movie. I liked the the nostalgia of it. Like there was a bunch of, like I said, like throw throwback lines, a bunch of these characters that I just mentioned from previous movies, um, even like the, the helicopter scene, like in fighting scenes, there was a, a scene with the helicopter and like the bullets like jingling as they're like falling down and, you know, got that fucking heavy artillery fucking machine gun is like shooting from the helicopter. The scenes of like stopping bullets when Neo's like stop, stopping bullets, like checked off the nostalgia box. The scene where he's fighting uh, Morpheus in that Kung Fu kind of temple and they're having like their sparring session. That was really cool. Oh, a line that he said, um, instead of saying, I know Kung Fu, and then the original Morpheus played by Lawrence Fishburne tells him, show me. And they, you know, go into the sparring program. In this one, when he starts uh, fighting Smith for the first time, he says, I still know Kung Fu. And then he like fights him. You know, a lot of the same like moves are like redone within the movie, within like the fight scenes and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. All that was dope. They introduced some new concepts, which was like instead of people, agents, you know, turning into people, they said that they use bots like throughout like the Matrix, which are like zombies pretty much that the machines can like take over. And there was a sick scene that was dope, but also kind of like freakishly reminiscent of like 9-11 where Trinity and Neo are like getting away in a motorcycle and there's like everybody's being turned into bots or like all the bots are being activated. They're like jumping off from buildings through their windows in their apartment buildings, falling, like splatting on the floor. They were, were just like using them as bombs, as like human bombs, which was like sick and cool at the same time. So they definitely introduced cool new anecdotes like that. Oh, by the way, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to say that they explained why nobody knew who Neo was. Cause to Neo, like we saw him as, you know, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, we saw as Trinity, but everybody else would see them differently. And there were like certain scenes where you see like the reflection of Neo in the mirror and he looks like someone else or Carrie Ann Moss. We see her reflection on the table of a coffee house where she's having a coffee with Neo and she looks a little bit different. She doesn't look like how we see her. And the fact that like her husband in the like matrix simulation laughs at her when she says don't you think that she looks like me when she's speaking about trinity and he's like laughing at her because she does technically look like completely different she's like blonde and just looks different but the reveal from the analyst is that he figured out the perfect combination of how to run a, a prosperous you know stable matrix and he's been doing it for decades and it was the reason why they chose to like rebuild neo's body when he died and plug him back in and similarly to trinity when she died because remember she got like 
those barrillas like stuck in her when they crashed. And the analyst said that they found that with only Neo, the Matrix wasn't as powerful or strong. And they figured out that when they put him and Trinity together and allow them to, you know, be together, they would just be like too powerful and they would just like fuck everything up. But if they kept, if he kept them close enough, close, but like far enough from each other where they, you know, couldn't touch and interact and stuff that made for a, a very stable and powerful matrix. And you know how the concept of the matrix is that we're all plugged in and we're like batteries for the machine world. He also explains how he uncovered that people, when they hate or when they feel like really strong emotions, they create much more energy than when they're happy. So there's no point to create like a utopia, perfect type of world, you know, matrix. And that that's why in the past it's never worked. The human being like rejected that utopia. And that's like great social commentary to how we are now in like real life, right? Like we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube arguing with each other, being shitty with one another, you know, clicking on headlines and things that feed our confirmation bias, which is driven by whatever bubble of information we're in. And we're really in the midst of a social type of pandemic where we seem to gravitate towards negativity and shittiness. And it becomes like a, what came first, the chicken or the egg type of situation between, is it because that's what we're chasing or is it because that's what we're being fed by the algorithms that we're caught within. And we're just like in this never ending cycle of bullshit and things that make us hate and feel stronger emotions as articulated in the scene by the analyst. Shout out once again to NPH. And then at the very, very end, we see that Trinity also makes the decision to get out the blue pill world. She reconnects with Neo. They kick the analyst's ass and in a pretty cool scene at the end, we see that like fly off together because in a previous scene, actually, where they both jump off a building away from like the helicopters, like shooting them, Neo starts to flail and he like can't fly. But then Trinity has like the ability to fly and she like flies them away to safety, which is pretty cool. And then it's that much sweeter to see them fly off at the end after telling the analyst to fuck off basically and that they're going to remake the world in their, in their way, in their likeness. And show how love conquers all. But yeah, folks, I know I rambled like crazy on that one. This whole thing could be a, a podcast in and of itself. But that's just how much I liked it. I thought it was super creative. A really good time. I saw it twice. Plan to watch it again. And I definitely, definitely recommend it. Matrix Resurrections. Check it out. What's up, folks? I wanted to take a quick break to put you guys on to a great show. As an independent podcaster, I like to help promote other indie podcasts. So here's a quick word from another show you should definitely check out. If you're a fan of movies that are true stories, I've got a new podcast recommendation for you. It's called Based on a True Story, and it is the podcast that compares Hollywood with history. You'll learn from historians, authors, TV and film consultants, and sometimes even the real people the movies are based on as they separate fact from fiction in your favorite movies. Hear how much of the gangster movie Donnie Brasco happened from the real Donnie Brasco himself. Listen to the real history behind Downton Abbey from Lady Carnarvon. Laugh along with the real guys that the comedy movie Tag was based on. Get some extra stories from the production set from the historical consultant on the movie The Alamo. 
Those are just a few examples. So when you're ready to learn how much of your favorite movie really happened, subscribe to Based on a True Story in your podcast app of choice or find it at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com. If you're a podcaster who would like to swap promos, shoot me over a message. You can contact me through the show's home on the web, spuntoday.com forward slash contact, or reach out to me via social media at spuntoday on all platforms. Now let's head back to today's show. The Shy, season four. This is a Showtime series created by one of my personal goats, Lena Waithe, and here is the official synopsis for the series. From Emmy winner Lena Waithe, The Shy is a timely coming-of-age drama series centered on a group of residents who become linked by coincidence but bonded by the need for connection and redemption. They're on their fourth season, 40 episodes in, and you know how we do here on the Spun Today podcast. We have to shout out the writers. Starting with the writer and creator, Lena Waithe. Then moving on to Justin Hillian, Ricardo Gamboa, Marcus Gardley, Casalina Kathy Kiskey, Nambi Kelly, Christina Ray Colon, James Rogers III, Dime Davis. I don't know why, but I just said that name in my head in like a Dominican way, like a hicked out the Dominican way. Dime Davis, Dime Davis. All right. <laughs> Cinque Henderson, Jewel Coronel, Ayana Floyd, Adam Glass, Elwood Reed, J. David Shanks, Joseph C. Wilson, T.J. Brady, Rashid Newson, Rashida Brady, Mike Flynn, Sylvia L. Jones, Terry Kopp, Jade Branian, Lolas Eric Ellie, Patrick Ian Polk, and Deontay Stats. Shout out to all the writers. And by the way, that's not a slight to the directors, producers, actors, etc., 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 but the Spun Today podcast is anchored in writing. If I don't shout them out, who will? All right, now going on to season four. Here's my little recap and review. So I really liked the beginning like montage showing like where the season was headed because you kind of sort of keep it in the back of your mind, but for kind of forget about it. Then you remember it. And it's like just like fragments of where the season is going to end up. So it's not giving too much away, but it does give enough away to like hook you in and want to see like, what the fuck? How the hell did this get there? So I really like that. I thought that was a pretty cool touch. And again, worked as that hooking mechanism right at the end. You know how they say like hook the reader? That definitely worked. Now, there were certain things that I didn't kind of like, which was like one of the most notable things was I felt, and as I'm saying this, I'm kind of like second guessing myself because I'm, I'm rethinking the like official synopsis of the show of how like all these characters become like coincidentally intertwined. But I feel like, it was like a bit on the nose this season with certain characters and lay, laying it on thick with the messiness. Like how like how Dom's character, played by Lala, fucked around with Emmett, but is now Emmett's character, by the way, played by Jacob Lattimore. One of the dopest characters in the series, in my opinion. But now she's dating Darnell, played by Rolando Boyce, which is Emmett's father. And that was kind of like, come on, would that happen? I don't know. That just seemed like a little, it seemed messy for messy's sake, if you will. That's just my opinion. So it was like certain things like that. Police brutality was like a central theme of this season, along with like the concept of like defund the police and the politics behind that movement. 
And I thought they did a really good job with just like the initial police brutality scene where a couple cops wind up beating up Jake's character played by Michael Epps, as well as Kevin's character played by Alex Hibbert. And they did a good job of showing like the community rallying behind each other during this time and a great job of showing Kevin's like PTSD after the fact and how he began like self-medicating and, you know, just drinking liquor and smoking weed and trying to like numb his feelings towards like this super impactful event that happened to him and his friend. And it was really poignant how when he got home after the incident and his family asked him like what happened, all he had to say was the word police and everybody instantly in the room like knew exactly what he meant. So I felt that like really set the stage for like at least like that arc of the story. Now Otis Duda Perry's character played by Curtis Cook continues to be like really strong character in the series and he's now the mayor. I thought there was something really cathartic about writing that like mayor firing a racist cop scene and doing so like swiftly and immediately. Like there was something like really cathartic about that because in so many egregious stories that we hear about police brutality incidents and I mean like actual police brutality incidents because you guys know how where I stand on the whole or my thought process behind the whole um, policing in this country, which is essentially I don't believe in defund the police just for like defunding sake, like get rid of all cops because, you know, what are you going to do when somebody breaks into your crib? And when you actually need the good cops that are out there, which is the majority of them. But I do believe in raising the bar of law enforcement, not making it so that the barrier for entry is such that the bully from your old fucking high school goes to community college and becomes a cop. I actually believe in increasing the funding for police, but together with, again, raising the bar in terms of standards and earmarking funds specifically for training, for different types of training, and also allotting that funding for other services, preventative services, that would go hand in hand and aid the police officers so they're not expected to be doing the job of a social worker, a psychologist, a cop, et cetera, et cetera. And making it a mandatory continuing education training like every every quarter. You know what I mean? Not just, you know, you go to the the gun range and you shoot once a year and you, you're good for the next year and you never touch the gun like since. And also martial arts training, specifically jujitsu. And incentivize law enforcement to do so in that you... The funding is earmarked again for the training and it pays for this martial arts training and the cops have the incentive to go and to a specific accredited school. So there's no like fuckery involved where somebody like, oh, I know a, a sensei and he, you know, will say that I'm a black belt, but actual accredited schools where they're increasing rank from a white belt two, three stripes to blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, et cetera, as they progress their salaries progress as well. You know, you make blue belt, you get a, a $5,000 a year bump in salary. Or you make purple belt, or you get a 10000 or another 5000 bump in salary. You know what I mean? Like incentives in that way. And that's just like on the physical requirement side for their own safety, for the safety of their partners. You know, somebody with a blue belt in jiu-jitsu could, regardless of like size and weight, you know, if it's not like extreme, like a 90-pound woman and a 300-pound guy. But regardless of size and weight using the leverage and the knowledge of like a blue belt in jujitsu you can physically handle the vast majority of individuals and have like also that similar version like that structure within other areas doesn't just have to be the physical right 
and the goal is to have like an elite law enforcement that in and of itself weeds out these like bad apples and these bad actors, which probably wouldn't be the most, you know, disciplined, devoted, compassionate, caring folks that would go through this rigorous type of training to serve and protect. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but in so many of situations where we have seen, you know, egregious police, police brutality, so much bureaucracy and bullshit that goes on that you're like, oh, this is another motherfucker got off, you know, behind this like blue wall of silence. And, and I forget the name of the law, but it's escaping me right now where the defense is literally, if a cop is in fear for their life, any killing is justified. But proving that you're in fear of your life has no standard to it. We've seen like so many cases go left because of like bullshit like that, that this scene of Mayor Otis Perry just like instantly find the racist cop like immediately, like same day type shit was like cathartic. You know, that was pretty cool to see. Unrealistic, but dope to see. Speaking of which, on the flip side, because it definitely goes both ways. Rest in peace to the two police officers shot here in New York and killed up in Harlem. Two Dominican police officers, Wilbert Mora and Jason Rivera. They were just 27 and 22 years old, respectively. And as I understand the story, they were responding to a domestic violence call where a mother and a brother called the cops on their other brother that was there visiting from Maryland. And that brother was there because the mother had just gone through some like medical uh, procedure. But apparently there was a dispute. They called the cops. And the brother from Maryland, a.k.a. the piece of shit from Maryland, named LaShawn McNeil, was in a, be- in a bedroom with the door closed. And when Jason Rivera and Wilbur Mora approached the door to see what was going on, you know, do their jobs, another officer whose name I don't know um, stayed with the mother and the other brother like in the living room or something. And LaShawn McNeil just began shooting through the door with like armor piercing bullets, which are illegal and killed Jason Rivera, I believe instantly. And Wilbur Mora died a few days later at the hospital. And when he tried to leave, the other officer that was there shot LaShawn McNeil, who I think later died in the hospital. Such a sad, sad fucking story, man. And here in New York, there's been, it's like every other day you hear, you know, somebody got shot in the Bronx, somebody in Brooklyn today, I think in King's uh, what's that mall called in Brooklyn? Kings Kings Plaza. Two two kids were shot in the mall. It's like gun violence is like going crazy. It feels like it's exacerbated. It's like dumb gang, you know, kid shit, uh, seemingly for the most part. And um, hopefully our new mayor, Eric Adams, um, who was a former cop and seems to have a more, you know, tough on crime type of, of demeanor to him and like the respect and the backing of the NYPD, at least thus far. Hopefully they can quell what's what's been going on because again for the most part cops are fucking heroes that are doing their jobs and and i feel that like a laid back don't let cops do their job type of approach that we've seen in like previous administrations and that is just like part of like the whole defund the police type of like sentiment that's definitely not the way especially when shit is as wild as it is now but again it's a balancing act because to quote fucking spider-man i think it was or was it uncle ben with great power comes great responsibility right so if you give that power to police officers and you have the bar so low for who can become a police officer you're gonna have these piece of shit police officers with that power that are definitely going to abuse it which is why it's like a two-pronged approach you know you raise the bar 
with the funding, with the training, et cetera, like I spoke about earlier, but also let them do their jobs. You know, it's a delicate balance there, but definitely my heart goes out to, uh, to their family and friends. Rest in peace, Jason Rivera, Wilbur Mora. Thoughts, prayers, and blessings, definitely your way. I digress. And the season definitely had like a lot of uh, John Lewis, quote unquote, good trouble type of theme throughout it. Papa has a podcast, Papa's Pulpit, which is dope. Shout out to podcasts out there. Definitely like seeing that. Uh, Jason Weaver makes an appearance in this season, which is really, really cool. Fun fact about Jason Weaver, by the way, he played the voice of Simba. I think Teenage Simba, if I'm not mistaken, or was it the Kid Simba in Disney's uh, The Lion King? Or he just played like the singing, no, he played the singing voice of the young Simba. And for that role, I remember his mom was like his manager at the time and they offered him, I think like a a $2 million deal up front and that's it. Or like a few hundred thousand, like four or 500,000 and then like, uh, you know, back end points royalties. And his mom said, wait, this is a Disney movie. You know, Disney every fucking 10 years, five years, you know, they re-release like all their shit. And, you know, it's the 25th anniversary of Snow White. You're by the Platinum Edition, blah, blah, blah. So she was like, she was savvy that way. And she was like, let me take the points. Let's take the back end. Even though $2 million is a lot of money. And I think the upfront, I think actually was actually a lot less than 500000 I don't remember exactly, but it was a lot less than $2 million. And, but she went that route and he's made like, by his own admission, like multiple, 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 multiple times that $2 million upfront money just from like the royalties of the Lion King. So I say that to say, don't get gas with the upfront money, folks. Always take the back end deal. But anyway, super cool to see Jason Weaver in this. And his character was great. There was, oh, you know what I jotted down? I jotted down a line from one of Maisha's raps. Maisha's a, a character played by Genesis Denise Hale. And I believe this was, I don't know if it was her actual rap, but it's the first time I ever heard it. Or if it was like something they wrote for for the show, but it was a dope line saying that she was trying to win my life by a landslide. I like that. Okisha's character, by the way, played by Burgundy Baker, wound up keeping the baby. Remember she got abducted in the previous season? She got kidnapped and like raped and like beat repeatedly. And Ronnie wound up like find the ba- finding the basement that she was in and like freeing her and like killing the guy. And then Ronnie wound up getting shot at the end of that season. But it turns out she was pregnant and she wound up, she was, you know, going to have an abortion. Then she was going to, uh, debating rather having an abortion. Then she was going to have the baby and put the baby up for adoption to the point that, you know, she was interviewing potential parents and actually passed that to the point that, you know, the, the mother that she picked to give the baby to, she wound up having the baby. She was there and everything. She had like a, one of those like natural births, gave the baby up. And I guess there's like a grace period when you do something like that. And you have a certain amount of time to like say, you know what? I changed my mind. I want the baby back. And that's what she did. She wound up keeping the baby, which is pretty interesting in the sense of how that's going to play out. Like the mother, which is Nina, played by Tyla Abercrombie. You know, she's trying to support her daughter, but she's like, yo, what are you going to do when the baby gets older and starts looking like his father? Which is, again, the guy that fucking kidnapped and raped her. But she winds up keeping the baby. Something else notable for me within this season is that Jake winds up taking Kevin's girl, which is Gemma's character played by Judea, which I, I don't want to say Jake wound up taking his girl because she kind of like gave herself to Jake. <laughs> um, But that, th- see, this was the type of like quote unquote messiness like I was speaking about earlier, but that makes more sense, at least to me from, you know, just like younger high school-ish, you know, 
type of relationships and like triangles and you know friends wound up dating like the same girl and you 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 round you hang out in the same like group of friends and you know there's there's overlap you know like shit like that definitely happens around that age so that kind of sort of like made sense to me then there was which this was kind of like came out of like left field this was a, a one of the things that i did not like which was the mayor otis perry which again is like this gangster guy you know he's like the the boss of the underworld and winds up you know trying to portray like a clean image as a businessman then winds up running for mayor and actually wins but you know he's still very much so involved in the underworld of like drugs and gangs and whorehouses etc but anyway he winds up getting shot by coogie and brandon's mom played by the way by kima detective greggs from the wire and her character in the shy is laverne played by again her real name sonja son but that was just like some like from left field i don't know it just seemed like they wanted to get from point a to point c in the story and they knew that duda had to wind up like shot or something to like make the season play out how it did and they couldn't think of anything to like make that happen or connect it so they just brought in coogie and brandon's mom which shot him for them um well mainly for brandon because then there's a reveal that duda had brandon killed basically and brandon as you guys know i, I covered this on like on a previous season of the shy was written off for the show because there were some sexual harassment allegations he was like a main character and i was really interested in how they were gonna progress in season three after like that happened and they kind of like opened it up with like a funeral of his but they didn't explain like how he died or who he killed him but they revealed that here but anyway i just thought that was i don't know it was just like one of those scenes that kind of left me like come on um around episode five or six i believe it is we find out that jada emmett's mom has cancer jada played by yolanda ross and she played this role so impressively and by this role i mean just like someone you know being sick and with cancer nonetheless and just like wrestling with life and the real possibility of having to let go of it and of all those that you love and it was so emotional and touching i fucking cried especially when like emmett finds out that his mom has cancer it was so fucking sad and she just does she has a masterful fucking performance like i'd be surprised if she didn't like win awards off the shit like, I honestly, I don't know, like, how those, like, awards and, like, Emmys and stuff, like, work exactly, but I'd be surprised if she didn't win something, because she was just, like, knocked it out the park. And then this next thing is, again, going back to the whole, like, messiness, relationship messiness thing, this one is one that didn't make sense again. So we had one that didn't make sense, then one that made sense, then this is one that th- doesn't make sense. Cut, well, actually, cut, uh, damn, see, now I'm second-guessing myself. It kind of does make sense. Like, if you're, like, in a jealous rage type of situation kind of does make sense i guess anyway kevin's mom again nina she is married to dre played by miriam hyman and dre is cool with and they're all cool with jada who has cancer so jada confides in dre to let her know that she has cancer and to help her go to the doctor and to her like chemo treatments and stuff like that while she figures out how to tell and break the news to Emmett and to the rest of her family and loved ones um so Dre is like sneaking around and telling her wife Nina that you know she's just like working late etc but Nina gets like skeptical she sees on her phone 
one day she takes her phone, Dre's phone, and she's like a message from Jada saying, you know, the, something to the effect of thanks for being there for me last night or like something like that. There's like this like threes company-ish type of like misunderstanding where now she just believes that they're having an affair. She follows her one day and she sees her with Jada like on the stoop and she's like, you know, Jada's crying because of the whole cancer thing. Dre like hugs her to console her as a friend. But Nina watching this, you know, gets like jealous. She goes to the bar, starts drinking and she winds up hooking up with a chick and like sleeping with her. The chick, by the way, that I just glossed over was the brat, which was dope to see. <laughs> really cool to see the brat. But yeah, she just does the, this like uh, one night stand with, with the brat. And then then there's a reveal of Jada having cancer. And that's really what Dre was doing and helping her. Uh, she wasn't like cheating with Jada or anything like that. And then Nina has to like wrestle with, you know, do I tell her? Do I not tell her? And ultimately she does. And they, you know, choose to like rebuild and they kind of leave it off like on a little bit of a cliffhanger. They choose to try to make it work, but you can kind of see it going both ways. But, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess that wasn't, that's not the, that is a believable kind of messiness. So I take that back. Then there's, uh, the last thing I jotted down here that resonated with me was around episode nine, the adoptee mom, the mom that was uh, supposed to adopt Keisha's baby. You know, Keisha's telling her how, you know, so, you know, people recognize her like from the news because it was all over the news. This girl that got kidnapped and raped and all this stuff. And that every once in a while she bumps into someone that's like, oh my God, you're her, you're the girl. And she usually gets like traumatized and like triggered from shit like that. Rightfully so. Um, it makes her like relive that situation. But there was one situation where a lady kind of confronted her not confronted her, um, but told her, oh my God, it's you. And the guy that she started seeing, which seems like a cool guy, by the way, like a little too like cool. Like I'm waiting for him to like fuck up somehow, <laughs> but he seems like cool and nice and like the type of dude she should, should be with. But he like checks the, the realtor lady and she's like, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm mixing it up. It was Emmett that checks the, the realtor lady because she goes with Emmett to go see a house that Emmett wants to buy for his mom. But yeah, the uh, realtor lady then just says, no, I apologize. You know, I don't mean it in that way. And of course, you know, you wouldn't want to like speak about that stuff. I just want you to know that you give hope to other survivors and just wanted to thank you. And then Keisha was like, kind of like taken aback by it. And she's speaking with the adoptee mom of how, you know, not knowing like how to feel about that. The fact that she is kind of giving like other survivors hope, just like her story, you know, and she doesn't know like how to really like deal with that. And now does she have to like live up to that, et cetera. And the adoptee mom says something that, that I thought was was pretty pretty dope, which was just because someone puts you on a pedestal doesn't mean that you have to live there. And with that, I'd say that you don't necessarily have to put the shy on a pedestal, as I do, but you definitely should check it out. The Shy, season four, streaming now on Showtime. Check it out. Jim Gaffigan's Comedy Monster. That is his latest stand-up comedy special, which is available on Netflix. I've been a fan of Gaffigan's for a minute. If you watch any of his specials, you definitely will be too. He's what's known as a quote-unquote clean comic. Doesn't curse much, if at all. And it's definitely the type of comedy you could watch like in any group. You know, kids, elderly folks, etc. But he's so fucking good and funny. And just like universally respected within like the comedy scene. At least that's my understanding from the outside looking in. And I've definitely spoken about some of his past specials. He has most on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. He has one or two on Amazon Prime. And his latest one, again, is on Netflix. I saw him live once. Me and my wife, 
which we really enjoyed. But yeah, he's definitely one of those comics that whenever a special of his drops, both me and my wife are like anticipating it and, and watch it together. Speaking of wives, interestingly, he writes, if you notice like the, the ending credits for most of his specials, he and his wife both write it. You know, like the writing credit goes to both him and his wife. Um, and this one, it went to just him. Um, but that's definitely interesting. That's not something you see much. Uh, but like I said, this one was just him and it was noticeably better. But um, I'm joking. I am joking. <laughs> All his specials are great. But yeah, that's just something I noticed because, again, it's a writing podcast, folks. I focus on the writer. But yeah, a few definite standouts from this special was he was speaking about the the pandemic, just like speaking to like the stages that we all went through of just like completely freaked out to like not really caring anymore. He was speaking about, do you guys remember like that phase that we all went through where, you know, we didn't know if you can get COVID from like touching surfaces and we would, whenever we would get like groceries, we would get home and like wipe it down with Lysol, like wipe down the boxes with Lysol or when we get like a package in the mail, you know, we would use like Lysol or disinfectant wipes. And that was a real thing. You know, I definitely did that for a while. Um, but I remember there were like funny memes about this as well when it shows like somebody like in the beginning it I remember a meme that was like something along the lines of I'm paraphrasing, but somebody in like a hazmat suit with disinfectant wipes and like wiping down every nook and cranny of a package that they received. And it said like day one of the pandemic. And then like day 30 of the pandemic, it was just like somebody without the hazmat suit and just like with a tissue paper, just like dabbing the top of the box and saying, yeah, yeah, whatever is clean. And that's kind of how we all like progressed. <laughs> but anyway, there was a, a specific line that I caught and, and loved when he's like speaking, you know, painting the picture of this scene of how we were with wiping down groceries and stuff like that. And he's just in that like funny voice, one of the funny voices that he does where he's like, I'm just a normal guy cleaning a Trisket box. And the fact that he just like chose a box of Triscuits was just like so funny to me <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and then he's speaking about how in the beginning, you know, we were all motivated or I don't want to speak for all, but <laughs> some folks are motivated to get healthier, right? Because it's uh, known that if you're healthier, you have a better time with COVID. You have a healthy, robust immune system. You know, you yourself are healthy, fit, in shape. You have a better shot with COVID in terms of like dealing with it. So, and a lot of people, myself included, you know, you start working out inside the apartment since you're in quarantine anyway. You're like, fuck it. You can't do anything else. Might as well just like work out a little bit, you know, do that for two or three days and then go right back to doing shit. <laughs> and then, but he speaks about this arc and he, he's like, you know, the doctor said, you know, if you're, if you're fit and in shape, you'll live. And if not, you're going to die. And then he's like, turns out life or death, not the motivator you'd think it would be. <laughs> then I wrote down, I wrote down this note and I can't remember the fucking bit. Like I just wrote down like a word from it of something about like, a tourist speaking about his wife and think that i think it was something like a like a murderer fucking tourist guy that like winds up like killing his wife on vacation or something like that i don't know i don't remember exactly but i just wrote down that and that there was like an interaction between them of have you seen my wife and he replies oh you heard her sassing off at me but i just found that sassing off i hadn't heard that before like put that way 
you're just sassing off at me. I just thought that was really funny. Just like that, like wordplay there. But I forget the fucking joke. Fuck. Now this last joke, spoiler alert, by the way, I forgot to say that in the beginning, my bad. <laughs> but um, this last joke was, and not the last joke in the special, but the last one that like I jotted down that really, really fucking just like made me, me and my wife laugh to the point where I started having trouble breathing and I had to pause it. My wife, I think, peed on herself. Don't tell her I told you guys that. TMI. Um, <laughs> but you're like, I literally had trouble breathing. Like it was the, <laughs> I think that's the first time that I was ever like laughing like that much, that hard or that like unexpectedly. Like I had to pause it, like catch my breath. Like I was like scared there for a second, <laughs> but that's how fucking funny it was. And this joke was reminiscent to another joke that uh, gave me like a similar, like just like outburst, laugh that loud laughter, which was uh, in a Bill Burr special where he does that thing of of the kid playing with his dad and he was like, but dad, I want to look at you. <laughs> you know, and it's like this generation of, of kids grow that grew up with distant, cold fathers who were like providers, but just financially, not emotionally. And like birds from that era, Gavigan apparently is as well, or just like based this joke in that like type of mentality. So he's speaking about, him as a kid and how he was like kind of like scared of his pops and he says you know my dad wouldn't even like make an effort to like turn his head if he, he would he you know we would make noise or or whatever he would just like yell at us and we would like instantly stop because we were like terrified of him and i'm paraphrasing by the way he was like i remember you know one time specifically he had his like back towards us and he was like in his his lazy boy recliner chair or whatever or at least this is how like i pictured it in my my mind and he does like in his voice, hey, what the heck is going on back there? Without turning his head. And then he responds. This Gaffigan as a kid responds, nothing. We're just celebrating my birthday. <laughs> and he like says it like shying, like shying over, you know, like putting his head down like nothing. We're just celebrating my birthday. <laughs> Yo. I couldn't stop fucking laughing. That was, it was so fucking funny. You guys definitely have to check out Comedy Monster. Really, really funny special, especially if you're a Jim Gaffigan fan. I highly recommend it. Jim Gaffigan's Comedy Monster, streaming now on Netflix. Check it out. Goats doing goat shit. This episode's honor goes to the YMH Stitcher deal. For those of you who don't know, for the uninitiated, YMH stands for your mom's house, a.k.a. the podcast of hosts Tom Segura, hilarious comic who I've spoken about in the past here on the Spun Today podcast related to his uh, stand-up specials, and his wife, also hilarious comic, Christina Pazitsky. Give me a round of applause for those two, damn So Tom Segura and Christina Pazitsky are the hosts of the Your Mom's House podcast. They're also the creators of the YMH, Your Mom's House, Studios Podcast Network. And they signed an exclusive multi-year distribution and development deal with SiriusXM and its Stitcher subsidiary. Stitcher is the podcast platform which was purchased by SiriusXM. That's how they Sirius made their like podcast play by purchasing Stitcher, which was one of the the biggest uh, podcatchers after obviously Apple and Spotify. But this is what the deal encompasses. Their long running 
comedy show at your mom's house, which is their main podcast. The uh, Two Bears, One Cave podcast, which is Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer. The Dr. Drew After Dark podcast with Dr. Drew Pinsky. And the parenting podcast, Where's My Mom At? with Christina P. Now, what's so cool is that, you know, they started their podcast many years ago and they since, you know, grew it into their own like live shows for your mom's house. And then they have like pay-per-view situations going on as well. You know, it's it's kind of like a dial-in show as well. Sometimes they have like segments of that. They have like wild, crazy, fucking weird people like from the internet on there. <laughs> um, but, you know, they have guests and do interviews and stuff like that, which is, which is really cool. And they grew that into this network of podcasts, like the ones I just listed, with a staff. And as part of this deal, that staff is now being integrated into Stitcher's podcasting staff, where they're going to continue to produce the Your Mom's House uh, podcast, as well as the other slate of podcasts. And also as part of this new relationship, according to this uh, article released by NASDAQ, as well as Variety, which I'll link to in the episode notes for your reference in case you guys want to check it out and flesh out a, a few more of the details. As part of this new relationship, uh, Your Mom's House Studios plans to work with the podcast teams at SiriusXM, Pandora, and Stitcher. Oh yeah, Pandora is also part of that mix. You know, it's owned by by Sirius. And they're going to work with uh, those platforms on the, the development of additional content to be accessible across multiple platforms. Now, what I couldn't find is how much they got paid. Can't fucking find that. It's an undisclosed amount. Uh, I did find out like what's in it for Stitcher. Remember how when I did the Rory and Mall Stitcher deal, the uh, goats segment for them, again, same company, you know, it was a $10 million deal, but you know, they maintain ownership. The podcast still goes out to all of the platforms, et cetera. This, your mom's house deal, it's again, same situation. They have their complete ownership of, of everything, of all their IP, their podcast, et cetera just a distribution deal with Stitcher, but the folks that pay for Stitcher Premium, which is like $5 a month or something like that, they'll get the slate of podcasts ad-free. So I guess it's like incentive for their paid subscribers. That's what like Stitcher and Sirius ultimately is getting out of that deal. But I really want to know how much they got paid. They just said it was a quote, a lot of money. <laughs> um, but what's dope is that you know, Tom, Tom Segura and Christina Pazinski, they're from, they're within like Rogan's orbit, right? And I love the story of, of like the arc of this story of getting from where they were to where they're at now of, you know, just being road comics, but kind of like blowing up by being like on Rogan's podcast and stuff like that. Tom Segura specifically, there was a, there's a funny story that they retell all the time where Segura went on jre early on when again rogan was like doing it like from his house or whatever did you know did the show and then he's like leaving and he tells i think it was red band outside he was like yo what the fuck is joe doing like what what is this talking on the internet thing like shit's fucking weird is he is he all right is he like hard for money or you know what i mean like he was like what the fuck like i'll like i did it you know whatever it was cool to hang out but what the fuck is he doing what is this and Fast forward from that to Rogan convincing him to start his own podcast, which he did with with his wife. And, you know, fast forward to this very, very likely because it's bigger than like Rory Mall's podcast. Tens of millions of dollars deal. My speculation. Tens of millions of dollars deal with Stitcher. That's just another round of applause is in order. That's just absolutely awesome. And that, folks, is 
the YMH Stitcher deal. Shout out and congratulations to Tom Segura and Christina P. In this iteration of goats doing goat shit. And that, folks, was episode 200 of the Spun Today podcast. I can't believe it again. I'm going to have to give another round of applause. Episode 200. Thank you so much to each and every one of you that listen to this podcast. I really, really appreciate you. And now that the 200th episode is down, packed and in the books, let's get on with creating the next 200. But in the meantime, please stick around and listen to a few ways you can help support this show. There's a bunch of different ways from following me on social media at Spun Today on everything to shopping within my merch section, spuntoday.com forward slash support. Buy me a cup of coffee. You can find it on that link as well. Buy my books, buy the stuff that I write, my content, the shit I create. Check it out. It's a bunch of free stuff on my website as well. Spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. I'm going to tell you a lot more about that stuff if you just stick around for a few more minutes. And again, I really appreciate you folks. Episode 200 in the books. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes also if you're into cycling you can cop the super soft comfortable minimalist design spun today bike club t-shirt also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes there are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts definitely go there and check it out spuntoday.com forward slash support it's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. 
To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? Spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.